HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're about to listen to a great episode of The Speakeasy featuring my good friend Aaron Polsky from Livewire. Uh, Aaron's in the middle of a raise to keep his company cruising right along. They're out there winning awards, and they just need some capital to keep moving forward. Aaron, where can they invest in Livewire? So we are on WeFunder. Our page is www.wefunder.com slash Livewire. Amazing. And the fundraiser ends on the 29th, so go give. You'll hear more about it in the show, but I just wanted to make it uh, clear to you where you can help out. Cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul, The Devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues, that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. We are missing Mr. Damon Bolte today. He's off, uh, you know, he's doing, doing, uh, he's got, he's got a pretty chill weekend coming up. I think uh, yeah. he's, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, just getting married. No big deal. So he's, um, you know, probably, probably trying to get ahead of that so he can really take it easy on Saturday. Yeah. Playing the part of bridegroom. Yeah. Um, and, you know, many congratulations to him and getting out there. It's going to be amazing. I wish I could go, but too busy. Uh, surprise you're not going you're mr wedding attender <laughs> i know of all the weddings i have to miss i'm surprised it's the one that actually is speakeasy related but no i uh, i i wasn't this is the first one that i've had to to take a pass on in a long time unfortunately but yeah we we wish them all the best best to you damon best to you jamie uh love you guys and uh congratulations from afar yeah of course you know it's crazy i've you've been to so many weddings i've only been to two and i've been in both of them one of them, I was uh, a groomsman, and one of them, I was the groom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go, go big fact. or go home, you know? Yeah, fun fact. Um, yeah, weddings are, uh, I had to be coerced into being the groomsman. I, I just, uh, they're tough for me to go to. I don't know, there's too, much, uh, too much emotion wrapped up in them. I, I, can't, uh, I can't get past it. Anyway, speaking of emotions and emotional uh, triggers, uh, you've been sharing your thoughts uh, and recipes on the TikTok platform. 
<laughs> yes, that's a, that's how the kids refer to it. So they the TikTok platform at yeah, www.tiktok.com. But yeah. yes, I'm I, I broke down. Keep it on the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that's that's where you can find it. It's also if you have an internet on your phone, you can get it there too. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I finally broke down. I got a TikTok, and the thing that surprises and delights and repulses me is how much I actually enjoy it. Um, I, I, as I did my duty as a millennial and poo pooed it for a really, really long time. And then I got on and discovered that it's actually super fun. Like the editing techniques on there are actually pretty for like someone who got a minor in film and did a decent amount of editing in that a full 15 years ago, the technology that we had to go to a special like laboratory to do when I was in college is now basically on this app that you can download from anywhere in the world it's oh sure it's nuts the world of editing and uh of producing good quality video content has become so democratized by by platforms like tiktok and instagram like i, I like you know I, I have a pretty solid foundation of it on instagram but i would know how to do none of this in a studio it's 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 wild it's wild and like i feel i feel like saying this like anyone who's listening to this who's under the age of 30 right now is just being like well Duh. It's like, I went to a movie the other day and there was sound. Can you believe it? It was a little grainy, but it totally like really changed the experience and I hated it. Um, but no, I'm really enjoying uh, my time on TikTok. It's a chance to, uh, my, my shtick is that I'm doing one of my favorite things, which is drinking cocktails in the shower. Uh, I share a little shower thought and then I share the recipe for whatever it is that I'm drinking. So it's, uh, you know, the people get a little recipe, they get a little know-how, they get a little laugh, they get to see a little skin. You know, you, you, give, you give the people what they want. It's what it's what the public was crying for, and now they have it. I mean, triple threat, some some thoughtful philosophy, a cocktail, and uh, some nudity. Way to go. There what's, you go. Yep, what's, all in one package. What's your, what's your handle? How can we find you on the TikToks? On the, the t- so go to www. Sorry, yeah. http yes. colon slash slash. Um, I'm a uh, hundred proof Greg, same as I am same. on oh, good. Uh, Instagram. But yeah, find me there and uh, listen to listen to some fun some fun musings of mine. I'm having a good time making it, honestly. So I hope that anyone out there that's listening that wants to check it out has a good time looking at it too. I mean, at least that seems to be the uh, you know. That was the original idea of the whole thing, right? Is to to do something and be creative and have an outlet and and enjoy yourself. Uh, you know, I think that so many folks, myself included, gets caught in the trap of like using it for work and becoming a brand opportunity, et cetera. Um, and then it, and then it just becomes a tedious chore. As I mentioned off air, I started a TikTok a little over a year ago, uh, where I was reviewing bottles from the top of the Williamsburg Bridge. I, I was just calling it Bridge Bottle under Creative Drunk. And they're still there. And I do consider going back to it, but just it started to be work immediately. I, I, it kind of turned me off. But maybe if you're having a great time, I'll I'll revisit Greg. I'll check out 100 Proof Greg on TikTok and see what you're thinking and drinking. Thanks, man. Yeah, it took it took a minute to kind of find, you know, find the happy medium where it didn't feel like that's always my been my problem with social media is like it's fun. And then you get like that first person finds you on your Instagram and is like, hey, like, check out this opportunity or like, do you want to collab with this brand? And it's great. And then it becomes immediately like, oh, shit, now I have to now I have to produce all this content and it becomes a chore and something in the back of your mind. And so it's nice to find a, uh, a lane that at least for now feels like something that I, I enjoy. I enjoy making. It's fun. It's a fun uh, way to share some content. Um, and speaking of people who have made a lot of different things over their careers, uh, Souther, who do we have in the studio with us today? 
Hey, we got a longtime friend of mine and friend of the show. Um, Aaron Polsky is joining us from California. Good morning to you, Aaron. Uh, and we're going to talk about his, uh, his, his young brand, Livewire, that's out there just crushing awards and taking, in, uh, taking on all comers. And then there's a bit of a controversy going on that we're going to get into. So there's some exciting content. Aaron, welcome to the Speakeasy. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, buddy. It's always good to see you. Um, got to hang out with you a little bit in L.A. when I was out there doing the um, residency for Amori Margo at, Amori, uh, at uh, Deaf and Company. Um, and uh, uh, you dropped something in my ear that I thought was uh, timely and needed to get heard. So we scheduled you as quick, quickly as we could to get on the show. But talk to the audience a little bit first just about what, what Livewire is. That way they've got an idea of what it is. And then we'll get into what's going on with it right now. Yeah. So <clears throat> Livewire is a ready-to-drink cocktail brand. Um, we run it like a record label. So we sign award-winning bartenders uh, or bartenders from award-winning bars uh, to our label. We uh, package their signature cocktail uh, in can or bottle format, and we pay them royalties uh, on their work. And, you know, the reason I started this, I was getting press. Actually, my first press was while I was at Amoria Margo. Uh, I think it was like 11 years ago. And... You know, it was cool uh, to see my name in print, and it was great to be in national publications. But, you know, and now the the example of Drink Masters is one I've started using because I'm sure lots of listeners of your show watch Drink Masters on Netflix, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're interested. Uh, they, you know, they see all these amazing cocktails, but they can't drink any of them, right? And this is unique to the world of food and drink, where, you know, if you hear about an artist you can go stream their music if you hear about you know a musician you can go stream their music if you see that everything everywhere all at once won an oscar you can go stream that or you can at least go to a movie theater right the, whatever um you can't do that with cocktails you have to go to somebody's bar if you read about or see their their video or whatever so this was a way you know for for the industry to bridge that gap where you know we could have Cocktail, bartenders make amazing cocktails and sell them out in the world to the general public, either via mail order or, you know, in certain markets, we have brick and mortar distribution. So that, that was a, a need for, for me and, and a lot of my friends in the industry that needed to be um, addressed. So basically the gist is each release of a cocktail is the sort of, in this analogy, the album and then the artist is the bartender, and they get paid royalties just like uh, uh, an artist would for, for the album. But, but the real crux of it seems to me that what your initial goal was is to get these products out of the you know four walls of whatever bar they were created in and into the hands of the consumer who's like, I've read about it. I wish I could go all the way to New York, but I live in Des Moines, Iowa, and I can't get there, but I'd love to have this cocktail from you know uh, a bar that I've read about, from a bartender that I've maybe followed. Here's my opportunity, right? Correct. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can find an amazing bartender, you know, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa and get a New York drinker to be able to have their Exactly. Their cocktail, it's, a you know? it's a full, fully a two-way street. Um, um, and, then, and then there's a little yeah. deeper layer, too, where, where the sort of artwork, et cetera, you want to get into that a little bit? Because I love that part. Yes. Too. So every bartender uh, can choose an artist to design their label. Right. So it's really like an album. It's really a full creative work where everything from what's inside the, the can or bottle 
to what's on the outside is is really the creative outlet of of the bartender and so it's really their work all the way through yeah i love that and and all the all of the ones so far are very unique looking and very compelling to to you know you want to grab them when you see them um and you're having some incredible successes right you've you've won you've smashed a bunch of awards and you've taken on some golds at san francisco uh is that right san francisco um uh, yeah yeah so last year we won um two double golds two golds three silvers one best in show which means that we beat every single uh entry last year in the ready to drink cocktail space or over 700 of them um and this is sort of you know back in the day what put tito's on the map right they the way they tell it tito was cleaning a still when he found out that he won best in show and he beat out the gray gooses and the absolutes of the world um and uh you know so so that was incredible um and we also won best in class for rum um this year we I think this is the information may be embargoed depending on when this podcast is released, but we did enter Heartbreaker because it's the only cocktail we have that as of 2022 um, did not win higher than silver on anything. And I'm just like, not, <laughs> I wanted a gold. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the results will be announced shortly. But yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, so, and the company's pretty young, right? Yeah. So we launched, I, you know, I had this idea somewhere 2013 or so. Speaking of Damon, uh, Damon and I, you know, and, and Mayor Subarau, uh sort of like started working on some packaged cocktails in, in 2012, 2013. Um, and I didn't have it in the same format. It was going to be just our cocktails. It wasn't going to be this like record label format. Um, and I went out and pitched it to Anchor Distilling uh, at the time, before it was called Hodling, and in San Francisco. And at the time, they were like, this is great, but I don't think anybody wants ready-to-drink cocktails, which I suppose yeah. at the time they were right, based on empirical evidence. But, um, you know, that's when the sort of idea started, and I sort of played with it and at times uh but i was working in different bar shifts uh or bar positions and then 2019 i decided to like you know raise a little bit of money so i raised enough to make our first 400 cases and we produced those on march 3rd of 2020 10 days before the pandemic yeah perfect timing <laughs> yeah. but I'm, but in the end kind of not the the worst timing right for ready to drinks that was kind of like when suddenly every bar all over the country was making cocktails for people to take home so maybe not the worst timing you know i hear this this is the exact comment i get every time somebody hears of our launch date and <clears throat> the fact of the matter is Heather, that like i don't know what it would have been like if we had launched in 2018 i don't know what it would have been like if we launched in 2023 um all I know is that I had nothing but time, nothing but energy and motivation. And, you know, I, I went out there, I was like, well, I guess this is it, you know, so it definitely changed our plans. I had a plan for a Florida launch date on March 30th, like a launch party and a New York launch party on March 20th. Um, none of those launch parties happened. So we definitely, we still haven't had a launch party. It's three years in, uh, but I was able to fully focus on it. And so I kind of feel a little bit deprived of the ability to sit at home 
and do, you know, nothing for a couple of months. I feel like everybody got to do that. And I was just like, ah, I got to go sell this stuff. I just made it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, that was it. That like effectively changed the course of my life. Um, and, 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 and it's great. Like it's a great product. You know, I think that what sets you apart is this business model. And that business model, I think comes from your mind of, um, how you went to school for, um, music, right? Music business, in fact. So it seems Correct. like you've just applied that model to this, um, arena and it's doing quite well for you. Um, and again, tons, you know, just tons of awards. So you're making great products. I think the other thing that's important to note is that sets you apart from other RTDs is that generally speaking, most RTDs out there are fermented product, uh, whereas yours is, is using distillates and actual spirits, right? Um, I would say the, the 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 majority of the volume of RTDs sold is with a malt base or a wine base. Uh, there are quite mm -hmm. a few spirit based products out there. Um, that in and of itself is not our distinguishing factor when it comes to ingredients. Our main uh, ingredient based distinguishing factor is that we don't use juices, and everybody else uses juice, um, and they slap fresh juice on the label. Um, but you know, the question the question comes up, right? What? How can it be fresh if this was made two weeks, four weeks, six months ago, right? So right. we don't. Fun fact: all juice was at one point fresh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, as bartenders, we know that fresh freshness is is paramount to the use of juice, right? If it's not fresh, it won't taste good. It'll, in fact, taste actively bad. Uh, I like to describe it as a a minute made orange juice that's been left out in the sun for, for a couple hours or a couple of days is, is sort of what, mm -hmm. you know, putting juice in a can tastes like. So we don't do that. We use um, really, really high quality flavors and extracts and we use organic acids. And what that allows us to do is have a very stable um, acidity base to balance the, the sugar uh, that we use just as all cocktails use sugar and the, the, the extracts, really have this pure aroma and so the marriage of the aroma plus the the acid sugar balance allows us to achieve this incredible profile um without it ever tasting like stale juice yeah that's incredible i would love to hear at least a few thoughts but then we, we really got the real topic i want to cut into but i want to hear a few thoughts on how did you as you know just average guy bartender i worked with you leap from we're going to use fresh juices to make cocktails in in-house to this place of what sounds like, you know, the science lab, where did you get this knowledge base to create these things that are out there pleasing people and winning awards? Yeah. So when I moved out to LA, I started working at Harvard and Stone uh, about six months after moving. Uh, and Harvard and Stone is an award-winning bar out here in Hollywood um, and, and also very high volume. Um, it's, it's also a music venue, it's a neighborhood bar, uh, but we, we put out really amazing cocktails. So the, the owners really have a presence in the, in the LA scene and the LA nightlife scene. And so they were asked by Coachella to do, uh, to, to have a bar at Coachella. Now there are lots of them right now, now sort of, uh, I think we blazed that trail in 2016, but after that. And along with another group, which at the time was called Two on Three, um, now you know PDT's out there doing it, Attaboy's doing out there doing it. Um, but yeah, they they look like they have a blast when they're out there too. They're they're to follow them on Instagram during Coachella is a real fun time. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're sort of hanging out at your bar and taking it easy, it's real fun. I don't know how many of them were hauling kegs up the field, but, uh, you know. <laughs> hey, Jeff, keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're doing a great job, buddy. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, at the time, you know, uh, I was, so I was asked by my boss to run this whole group wide pop-up for Coachella. And, um, I was also told that there was pasteurized juice and I am like vehemently anti-pasteurized juice. And I always have been, well, not always, but one time I had to use it for an event and I was like, this is wildly bad. I don't know how any bartenders can take themselves seriously and use this stuff. So I did not want to use it. Um, and instead I decided to do, uh, an acid base for the juices. Right. And I was already working with the flavor company that we work with now. So I was like, Hey, can you send me lemon? Oh no. The first year I didn't do that. The first year I infused lemon and lime peels into our spirits and I used this acid base and we essentially, that was our workaround to, uh, to using pasteurized juice because we couldn't get like fresh, fresh. So, you know, and right, like before the festival started, the guy running all of the logistics and catering for the beverage side said, you know, people don't drink cocktails here. Don't worry about it. You won't be super busy. Um, and it may have been true in all the years preceding, but word spread pretty quickly that the cabin, which was the name of our pop-up, had really good cocktails. And we had a line that was like consistently 50 people long. And our cocktails were on draft. It was we were serving probably 15 cocktails a minute and it was wow, like, damn, it was insane. Um, and that formed the basis for this formulation. Right. And so I went back to LA and we put some cocktails on draft and, you know, throughout the year I would refine the formulation. And then next year, you know, the following year we'd get ready for Coachella and, try something new or try something that we were serving throughout the course of the year and, and do it again. And so, you know, what I found was like the, the deft use of acids can really make a lot of things possible. Right. So another thing we were doing was uh, these snow cones where we had a snow cone, like a shaved ice machine. And there were these boozy shaved ices. Um, our, our boss was, uh, I think grew up in Hawaii. And so to him, um, shaved ices were, were a thing and he was very particular about mm -hmm. it. So I made it with juice and he was like, no, this isn't sticky enough. Like this is not adhering to the ice like it should. And I didn't understand what mm -hmm. he meant until I went to Hawaii, uh, this last January and I got one. I'm like, cool, I get it. But at his direction, I reformulated it without juice and using acids. And it like had that density and viscosity. Um, and it was able to stick. So there's like, you know, it's a tool. If you use it properly, you can really achieve a lot of amazing things. I love that there's a little hidden Easter egg tie-in here, which is the work that you did at Harvard Stone, notably kind of a rock and roll bar that got you to Coachella that made you dive deeper into how to create these acid bases as a music festival. And the whole thing ties back to your entire uh, you know, your, your schooling uh, for music business and ties into the business that you created that's based on a music model. Like this is like, it all seems to be coming together. <laughs> There's a quote that I, um, 
or a speech that I draw a lot of inspiration from, and it's the Steve Jobs uh, Stanford commencement speech. Um, there are a lot of amazing nuggets in there, but one of them is that you connect the dots of your life backwards. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that really touches on it, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, if I yeah. hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this. And if I hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this. And you can either see it as like truism, like, of course, you only have one line of your life, but also you can look at it and be like, oh, wow, like these things really led into one another. Sure. The old hindsight is twenty twenty, right? I also think the wisdom of that is like you never you you never know in the moment what's going to be a formative interaction for you. Like I, I think about this a lot. Actually, I can trace like my entire time working in bars, at least, you know, legitimate ones. Um Back to this interaction I had with uh, a, a deeply weird roommate and her deeply weird boyfriend when I was living in Scotland. And they were the ones that mentioned, oh, hey, you like beer. I think the new Brewdog bar in town is hiring. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I went in there. I fired in a resume. I had I went in with this voice and a lot of can-do pep that really wore off by the time I was like 24. And, you know, I got the job and now here I am. And it's just weird to think that like that, that chance encounter and that weird interaction had so many ripple effects but you can't know that at the time so just kind of like you know i to me the point of that is like keep your eyes open because you never know what dot is going to be significant when you look back true yeah for sure for sure well aaron uh let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors and then we're going to come back and get into what's becoming a controversy with your with your company that uh, uh maybe be kind of that will hopefully be a defining moment uh we'll be right back with aaron polsky from livewire this episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network, where we're talking with Aaron Polsky of Livewire. We talked a little bit about uh, his origin story and what all the, uh, the connected dots that led him to where he is now. Now we're going to get into a topic that despite my best efforts comes up a lot on the show we're going to talk about mountain dew uh we had we had souther's brief uh but very fiery bromance with mountain dew last summer uh which resulted in me having to go downstairs to the bodega below my apartment and spend money that i earned doing whatever it is that i do whatever on a bottle is. of mountain dew that I then put into my body where I live uh, and tried to mixing it with Sue's. And honestly, it was it was pretty good, I have to admit. But uh, there's been a new Mountain Dew-based development that we want to talk about a little bit on uh, the Speakeasy. So Aaron, talk to us about what's going on there. 
Yeah. So <clears throat> I, uh, the name of our company is Livewire. Um, and there is a Mountain Dew flavor uh, that was released in 2003, I believe, called Mountain Dew Livewire. Um, now, it's different trademark categories. Ours is uh, alcohol. It's class 33. And theirs is soft drink. Um, and theirs is registered with the qualifiers of soft drink, uh, syrups for soft drink, etc. cetera. Uh, but their trademark is for Mountain Dew Livewire. Now for some context, there's uh, a Mountain Dew Code Red, which is their red uh, variant, and it came out, uh, I think, a year before that in 2002. There's also a wine called Code Red that came out 10, 12 years later. It has a registered trademark. There's no problem. I spoke to their lawyer, and uh, you know, he said they never heard anything from PepsiCo. Um, there's Mountain Dew Voltage, uh, and there's also Voltage Vodka. Voltage Vodka came out significantly after uh, Mountain Dew Voltage, and they coexist. Voltage Vodka's trademark is registered, no problem, nothing from Mountain Dew or PepsiCo. Uh, and there was even a wine called Livewire uh, that came out in, I think, 2009 or 2010, anyway, like a number of years after Mountain Dew Livewire. Uh, their trademark was registered. That wine ended up going out of business, but they coexisted in the market. There's been no issue. So when it came time to register a trademark uh, or to file a trademark application, I was like, listen, it's Livewire. Is I, I see that there's this Mountain Dew Livewire, but this is a soda. It's very inexpensive. It's sold in a different market. There's no real cause for confusion, right? Like without Mountain Dew in front of it, this Livewire means really nothing. Uh, and it's in a different class. So I filed a, uh, a trademark application. Um, we, we, I believe, so let's forward to today, right? Um, on March 1st, 2023, Pepsi announced hard Mountain Dew Livewire, right? Which is an alcoholic product uh, that contains a name Livewire, uh, that, that, you know, we've been in existence now for three years. Um, and I found out about this because one of our mutual friends actually sent me a DM that said, Hey, congrats on the collab. Right. Um, and I was like, that is not, that is not a collab. And somebody else tagged us, uh, in the comment as well. So, you know, that's how I found out about the existence of this. So, you know, we're really in this position uh, where we now have to defend ourselves in the alcoholic group, uh, in the alcoholic class against Mountain Dew, right? So, like, they had their trademark, again, in soft drinks, um, and it was, it was fine. Um, and now we're, we're in this position where, like, now it's causing confusion. So what are we supposed to do? And so far, none of this sounds unusual. If you have a trademark, you are you do your due diligence and you try and protect it, right? So nothing seems out of line yet. But it's the story gets a little darker, right? Um, correct. I think. I mean, they. So we um, when we applied for our trademark, we applied for alcoholic and non-alcoholic, and this was sort of like 
not the smartest move, right? I I thought that there was still not going to be cause for confusion by having a non-alcoholic live wire. Uh, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO, rejected our application, partly in due to that um, non-alcoholic class designation. So we removed it. Um, that, I think, caught the attention of PepsiCo, and we got a and d from them uh, in late 2020. So we replied. We said, hey, you know what? You're right. We're going to not enter the alcoholic or the non-alcoholic market with the name Livefire. We're going to pull that. We'd also like to explore coexistence with you, right? Where we have it in writing that we can have our alcoholic Livefire. We don't need it, but it's very helpful, right? Where we agree that we have our Livefire in the alcohol space and you don't enter that. And uh, we don't enter the non-alcoholic space with the word Livefire. I didn't hear anything back. Um, And so we know at this point that PepsiCo knows of our existence. And it's like hard not to if you're working in, like if you're putting out products in the hard, uh, in the the alcoholic ready to drink cocktail space, like we do get a lot of press, right? We don't have a ton of advertising budget, but we do get a lot of press and we do get a lot of awards. So, and we have in writing that they know that we exist. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the timeline is, is funny, right? So we, you know, they sent their C&D in 2020. Uh, we responded in 2021 uh, in the first half of the year. Um, we then got, there was also a, a, a kink, right? There was a beer that had a pending application for Livewire. And this beer... Uh, when you when you file a trademark, you have to file something called the statement of use in uh, in interstate commerce. So you have to basically prove that your product is being sold uh, across multiple states and that it exists. And so this beer company, Roke, uh, which has the the Livewire IPA, had multiple extensions filed to file their statement of use. And unfortunately, because of that, our trademark, which was filed after them, couldn't really be addressed until they either filed the statement of use and were granted a trademark or abandoned their trademark application, which they ultimately did. So late 22, they abandoned their application um, and that left it open to us. Now, the examining attorney uh, for the USPTO, uh, you know, he refused our application initially because of the non-alcoholic inclusion, and I believe that we poisoned the well with that inclusion. And so, in his mind, it's too close. It's too close. Like, and he sent another refusal. Now, the appeals board of the USPTO, called the TTAB, they overturn refusals all the time. Um, you know, there's, again, one, there are like 4,000 examining attorneys. Uh, they, and, and, you know, it's like, if they, if they're set on something, they can, they can remain set on something and then you just have to take it and appeal it. Uh, but anyway, so we unintentionally let our trademark application lapse on January 1st. Um, and we were sort of, 
exploring shifting our strategy. And I had already poured a lot of money into this application, money that we can use for inventory. Um, and I sort of was going to let it lie and file new and different trademark applications. Um, I'd go into details, but this is still part of our strategy and we're, sure. uh, we're still exploring it. So we let our trademark lapse and on January 1st. And when you let your trademark lapse, if it's unintentional, you have a two-month window to file a, hey, I screwed up. This was unintentionally unintentional. Yeah, I want to revive it. A grace period, right? So two months after we let it lapse on March 1st was the day that PepsiCo announced hard Mountain Dew Livewire. Launch party, this and that, whatever. And I don't think it was a coincidence because, again, we interacted. Right. They know that we exist. Um, now, what they didn't know was that our, our grace period started on January 17th. It's from the date of a notice that was mailed to us. And we filed a petition to revive our trademark application and we were granted it. So, but by then they had already released their product. Um, so yeah, that is, uh, that's where we're at. We're basically are, you know, there's, there's been confusion in the space. Um, we don't contest at all that PepsiCo has the right to live fire in the non-alcoholic space in the Mountain Dew context. Um, but now we're in this position where we need to be, you know, on the offense to defend our trademark. Right, which is, I'm going to guess, because everything is, is a costly endeavor. Yes. So <clears throat> in filing the uh, petition to revive and our subsequent appeal, right, I, I, I couldn't really pay a lawyer at this point, right? Like, I've paid a lawyer a lot, and, you know, when you do it, it's really not that um, – like there's a lot of nuance and technicality to it, but it's not the most difficult thing to understand, right? You basically go online and search for cases and those cases say on top in the black box, this can be cited as precedent uh, of the TTAB. Or it says this cannot be cited as precedent. So you find these cases that apply to you, you cite them. And then when you find them, there are like 10 more cases that they cite and 10 more cases that those cases cite. And so you can really get down this rabbit hole, which would have cost me like 30 to 50 lawyer hours. Right. And, you know, as a lawyer, you kind of see that it's a small business. They can't really afford to do this. And so your advice is just roll over and change your name. Right. And to me, Oof. that is like not you know, that it doesn't set a good precedent in the world of entrepreneurship and competitive business practices, but it's also not right, right? Like Pepsi can send the CND all they want. Like the, our examining attorney can overturn or can refuse a registration all he wants, but like they're not the final authority on this. And, you know, they don't, in my opinion, um, have, a real legal basis for for their insistence so we change our name right and so this is not the first time they've done something like this there was a soda <clears throat> called dew drop yeah, yeah. Um, i remember you were telling me about this in la yeah go ahead yeah yeah uh it's like 
this independent entrepreneur, she created this wellness soda. Um, Mountain, she had a registered trademark for it. PepsiCo sent her a cease and desist saying that it was too close to Mountain Dew, <clears throat> which is absurd, right? Mountain Dew right. and Dew Drop, Dewdrop. right? Yeah. There's no likely, like nobody who's out there shopping for Mountain Dew will see this tall, skinny can with this like, you know, color blocked pastel, whatever art on it and think, hey, right. this is a new offering from Mountain Dew. Um, and they sent her a CND. They intimidated her. She changed her name to Droplet. And then PepsiCo released what she alleges is a copycat called uh, Soul Boost. And it's like the art is very similar. The packaging is very similar. The wellness, the touted wellness attributes are very similar. And they bought product from her in that interim period. So they bought it. She alleges that they copied it. And, you know, like their product doesn't even do that well. I think it has like a thousand or a couple thousand Instagram followers. And it's like for them, for PepsiCo, it's like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's put this out and see if it sticks. Right. But for her, it's her livelihood. Yeah. And it's like, right. so just another, just another intimidation technique to, to, to get people to get out of the marketplace. Right. What's game it out for us? Uh, what's the what's the best outcome you could see from this, and what's the worst? The best outcome is that PepsiCo and Livewire reach an agreement where so simply coexist, goes, right? Yeah, simply coexist. They don't use Livewire in alcohol. They don't give us any more grief for using Livewire in alcohol, and that's it. Um, the worst, but I think I but the other side is that, you, but, but, they, but then also you wouldn't be able to enter into the non-elk with Livewire, right? It's a, a two-way street. Yeah, correct. Um, we're planning on entering the non-elk, but with a different name. I've already, you know, retired that idea. Um, sure. But you know, the worst is that we fight it through every level of courts up to the Supreme Court, I assume, and lose. That's the worst. And we have to change our name. <laughs> yeah. And spend a lot of money to do it. Yeah. Let me let me just ask this, is that because this seems a bit funny to me, and I'm not sure if if you have it's crazy the things you have to become an expert in very, very quickly when you're in this space. Like yeah, I bet true. you never really imagined, I bet you I bet you never saw one of those dots of your life being like, I need to research copyright law, but here we are. It seems to me like you would have uh, whatever the legal equivalent of squatters' rights is for being in this space and being in the market and being a recognized uh, brand entity that had a trademark for three years at this point, it seems to me like that would give you some sort of legal standing. Is that not the case? Correct. So <clears throat> there are a couple of concepts here. The first is common law trademark. So like copyright, right? When you write a song, you committing it to a tangible medium, right? So like if you write a song and record it on your voice app on your phone, you technically have a copyright to that song, right? It's, it's not registered yet. That's another, that's a separate um, process and you can register it to the Library of Congress. But just by virtue of existing in a tangible medium, that song is copyrighted. So same applies in trademark, right? So you can have a registered trademark 
with the USPTO. Or just by existing and doing business, you can have a common law trademark, which is what we currently have because of that lengthy registration process with the IPO sort of stalling or the IPA sort of stalling it. We still don't have a registered trademark. This is what we just got granted the petition to revive, and it's now going back to that examining attorney. Um, I don't know where he's going to be on this, but I think I wrote a pretty good case for him to examine. Um, and if he refuses again, we're going to take it to the U.S. Uh, TTAB, the trial, uh, trademark trial and appeal board. But by existing, but the the catch with common law trademarks is that they only apply where you have done business. So we have distribution in uh, eight states. <clears throat> so the common law trademark applies in those eight states, and they're they're good states, right? That you know, if if it holds up very strongly then PepsiCo wouldn't be able to use Mountain Dew Livewire in California, Florida, Texas, Louisiana, Nevada, New York, New Jersey. Um, that's all of them, right? That's all the states? There's one left. Yeah, that's all the states. Oh, yeah. That's all the states yeah. in America. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that's the common law trademark that we have. Um, but registering a trademark gives you protection uh, nationally and in some international agreements as well. So, <clears throat> for us, like it was so vital to keep our application alive because it extends to the date of the application. And so it extends back to February of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want those protections in place retroactively. Um, and we already have trademarks to the individual names of our cocktails, right? We have the trademark to Golden God, we have the trademark to Holy Tiger, to Crystal Shiso Mojito. So it's really getting our brand name trademarked as well. And that's been a real uphill battle. And, and now is, you know, a bit of a war. Is there anything that we or our audience could do to advance your efforts? Or, or is it just something that you have to do on your own? Spread the word, right? Um, you know, I'm not going to ask anybody to do any pro bono, pro bono litigation, uh, but spreading the word really helps. Um, a lot of times, entrepreneurial brands back down from multinational corporations because they're intimidated and don't have the money and they have to change their name or whatnot. Um, I think this practice is harmful to the business of our country and, and you know, the, the leaders of small business. Um, and I want a spotlight on that. Right on on that common practice that these large companies do. And listen, I'm not faulting anybody for protecting their trademarks. Right, like you have to do that. In fact, right, you have to. Anytime that somebody like, I don't know if the Speakeasy podcast is is uh, trademarked, but like, if there's a show that comes out called the Speakeasy, you know, if and you have a trademark for the Speakeasy podcast, you should probably send them a cease and desist. My issue is how overreaching it is, right. <clears throat> right? And that's what, that's that's the issue, right? Like PepsiCo sending a cease and desist to Dew Drop, saying that it's too close to Mountain Dew, is overreaching. I think so as well, yeah. There's no there's no potential audience or, or consumer confusion in those two names, right? Correct. And especially with yours being alcohol versus non-alcohol. And completely different artwork and all those things. It seems uh, a bit ludicrous. It's just a great name and they want it. 
That's it. That's what, that's what it is. It is. <laughs> you created a great name. Well, listen, let's talk about something a little bit more uh, up-tempo. Um, not that that's down-tempo. You seem pretty calm about it, and I'm, uh, I'm applauding your uh, sort of reserved nature regarding going and going facing this because it sounds like pretty, pretty fucking daunting. So that's a lot of courage, and I, I applaud you for that. Um, I appreciate let's that. Talk about, yeah, let's talk about something a little bit more up-note. Uh, you're currently amidst a raise for the company, right? You're raising capital and funds. Uh, let's get into that a little bit before we have to wrap up. Yeah, so um, we are on WeFunder uh, doing an equity crowdfunding raise. So <clears throat> it's a really interesting concept. It was um, it became a possibility for entrepreneurs uh, via the Jobs Act, which was an Obama-era um, law that passed. And essentially, there are multiple uh, websites that allow you to raise from your community. Um, and this is a, really the first time ever where you can go to your friends, your grandparents, your, your, your fans, your followers, and you can raise from them. And it's uh, regulated by the SEC. Uh, and you can raise as little as, in some cases, $100, in some cases, $250 from these people. And so it gives the everyday consumer, the opportunity to invest in early stage startups without being worth a certain amount. Um, and we can get into more of that and how investing regulations work. But, you know, so <clears throat> we're doing this raise. It's been going great. Uh, I think we've raised $130,000 so far. And what it allows us to do is expand into new territories and create um, more inventory and have that cash flow to do it. Uh, one of the hardest things in this business is cash flow. So like oftentimes for one of my raw materials, I might have to pay for it in full four weeks before it ships. <clears throat> and then the alcohol business, you know, if, if my distributor or, or I, right, if I sell a case of Livewire to Amori Amargo, Amori Amargo has 30 days to pay for it. And mm -hmm. so if you do the math or, or, right, or, like, even, or even 90, like I often have 90 day terms. Right? Really? Yeah. In New York. Oh, wow. I did not know this. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's even worse for us, right? Yeah. It's good for you. Yeah, it's worse exactly. for us. Um, exactly. <laughs> but this, this results in, if you don't have very deep reserves, <clears throat> this results in some significant cash flow issues. So what you've got is like, I got to pay, let's say I, pay for my whiskey on January 1st, it ships to me on February 1st, which means that I get it probably on February 10th. Um, I have to schedule my production run with a window so that my ingredients aren't coming after a production run, right? So let's say it's February 20th, right? So um, we make it, we have to ship it to a warehouse, so let's say it gets there on March 1st. So that's two months of paying for something that we haven't actualized, that we haven't even sold. And at that point, we can ship it and sell it. The distilleries generally have, you know, our contract distillery has a minimum run. So we have to make 400 cases per SKU at least, right? So it's not like we make what we need and we sell it immediately. Like we make right. what? the least amount that we can. So we have five cans. That means 2000 cases that we've made that we then need to sell. So like if we sold all of that on April 1st and shipped it all 
on April 1st, we wouldn't get payment from that. If everybody pays on time, we wouldn't get payment from that until May 1st. So it's like I've paid for stuff on January 1st and the money comes in for it five months later. But yeah. like, let's say that some people are mailing their checks, right? And so right. even more, the and then, right. But like, that's another 10 days, right? It gets to the office, which is, you know, uh, in New York. So people are mailing checks from California. It gets to the office, um, takes a few days to clear. So we're literally at 24 weeks. Of, yeah. of this negative cash flow. So, <clears throat> you know, for us to do all the things we want to do, we have to, you know, have these reserves. And that uh, is really what, what the raise and, and really most capital raises in the world of alcohol are for, right? And, and if we expand to another territory, we have to allocate that cash. So like we just expanded to Nevada. Incredible opportunity. Um, Julian Cox uh, was the beverage director of MGM, and he brought us into the Bellagio, the Aria, and the Vidara pools. Huge pools, amazing uh, venues. And so we, we ship a lot of inventory to Nevada. And so, again, when you add a new territory or a big expansion, you have to make a bunch of product. So you've got that, like, that cash flow issue again. It's, it's a blessing. It's, it's amazing to do this, right? Like, um, but in that initial expansion step, you need to be plowing money into production. And so that, um, that's just a challenge that you face in this business. And what's great with WeFunder uh, and all of these platforms, StartEngine, SeedInvest, oh, StartEngine actually just bought SeedInvest, but um, is that you don't have to find VC firms or find individuals whose net worth is over a million dollars, which used to be the requirement for raising money. You yep. can go to anybody and there are safeguards in place on WeFunder to protect people from overinvesting, right? So like you yep. can't invest more than a certain percentage of either your income or your net worth. Um, and it just democratizes it, right? So you get to go to anybody and they'll be like, you know what? I don't have much, but I want to support you. Here's $250. And to them, they, depending on how it works, they might own a piece of equity. They might own a piece of revenue share. Um, there are several different possibilities here, but you literally can invest in in new companies that you believe in. Yeah. Well, you know, Amori Margo and, and Overthrow Hospitality is about to do a start engine raise uh, later this summer. Um, so, you know, I'm right in the beginning phases of all this. So I'm happy to hear that you're you're in it and, and you're crushing it. You're about halfway, you said, I think, uh, to your goal of 250000 which is incredible. Yeah, so we our first goal was was fifty thousand, and we smashed it right out of the gate. And um, our our next goal is two hundred fifty thousand, and and our our next goal is five hundred thousand. Uh, if these next ten days go really well, um, and we can raise up to a million dollars. So right, it's um, you know, it's an amazing platform, and and I'm excited about these, this last run. So again, you want to give it the website and the deadline is April 29th if people want to invest on your WeFunder. Correct. Um, WeFunder.com slash Livewire. Great. Easy enough. I, I just want to ask Aaron as we're, as we're you know, coming into the, the uh, end of the show here, <clears throat> you know, this has been 
I, I can only imagine what a deep dive this must have been into like investment law and copyright law and and all this other you know all of these things and, that like yeah exactly like you're just all, making a cocktail <laughs> yeah 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 what and what is that I just I just want to know what is that like for you what is that like to go from being like oh yeah I love being a bartender I love you know stirring drinks and giving them to people and then all of a sudden you're you're here like how does that just feel for you? personally as part of your you know your journey along this dotted line yeah i mean it's a wild journey um it's it's a bit of a cliche but they say that entrepreneurship is jumping out of a plane or or uh jumping off a cliff and building a plane learning how to build a plane on the way down yeah um and you know it's you learn a lot uh you're ideally you want to outsource to other members of your team, the the or you want to hire for the the weaknesses that you have. Um, but it's you know I I love learning on the job and um, it's you know it's at times humbling, it's at times very stressful, uh, extremely stressful, especially so that you mentioned logistics. But like that freight and logistics are the most stressful part of my job on a daily basis. Um, I can't even imagine but, to be honest. Even even the story you were you were painting for us was was giving me agita. <laughs> well, I apologize <laughs> for any any sort of uh cortisone that I uh set free in you. But um <laughs> you know, it's <clears throat> ultimately I wake up every day knowing that I'm doing what's right for me and what I want to be doing, right? So like regardless of how stressful it is. I'm building equity in my future and the future of, of bartending and changing the way that the world drinks. Um, and I think that that's important and, and, you know, satisfying and gratifying. And uh, I'm well said, and I, I couldn't be happier for you out there. Um, you know, even with these adversities, you seem to be going at it with, uh, with a great attitude. And, and I, I feel like you're going to persevere over this whole situation. But, um, really that. awesome. Yeah. Really awesome to have you on again. Um, people can find you on, uh, on Instagram. It's just Livewire, right? Drink Livewire. Drink, drink, drink Livewire on Instagram. Any other platforms you want to plug for people to go follow and spread the word? Yeah. Um, you, got, you, got you know, we do have a TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. yeah, we have yeah. a Drink Livewire TikTok. Um, it's the future, it's, baby. It's not our most active platform, but, <laughs> you know, um, to Drink Livewire on TikTok, Drink Livewire on Instagram, drinklivewire.com. If you want to buy some cocktails, um, get them shipped to you. We have free oh, yeah. shipping on all orders. Um, and my personal is Aaron Polsky, A-A-R-O-N-B-O-L-S-K-Y. That's my Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll get as many people uh, pointed towards you as we possibly can. Um, and really uh, hopeful that you break your goal on the WeFunder. Again, that ends on April 29th, so go check that out. Uh, really incredible having you on again. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of The Speakeasy. Be sure to tune in to Heritage Radio Network for plenty more shows just like this one. Go to the website, heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the beating heart to donate to keep shows like this one on the air. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. And congrats again, Damon. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. 